0: The Mini Transat, an epic 4,000 mile single handed ocean sprint across the wide expanse of the Atlantic Ocean, following the classic trade winds route from France to the Caribbean. The Mini Transat is a unique event for many reasons. The size of the boats and the fact that the ethos of this endurance race is designed to create genuine self-sufficient status for the 80 plus solo sailors who take part in this mammoth biannual event. No outside communications, apart from simple VHF radio, are allowed. That means no satellite phones, no outside weather information, no laptop computers, no email, no ability to talk to loved ones on the land. Nothing. The solo sailor is exactly that. Completely isolated from the outside world. In fact, competitors aren't even allowed electronic chart plotters. Instead, the sailor has to navigate with simple paper charts from the floor of the exposed cockpit for days and weeks on end. Even a traditional sextant is part of the mandatory equipment required on board, although in reality they're rarely used. For these reasons, and when combined with arguably the biggest and most competitive offshore fleet of solo sailors anywhere in the world, you soon realise the Mini Transat is an epic test of physical endurance, navigational skill and competitive ability. In many ways, it's the ultimate yacht race. For me, the Mini is eclipsed only by the Vendee Globe as one of the biggest human tests of endurance, psychological skill and physical competition in which any sailor can undertake. The Mini Transat enjoys a huge following from a wide diverse mix of people across the world, both active sailors and spectators of adventure sport. The event is truly addictive and attracts some of the very best yachtsmen and women from across the globe. Established professional sailors compete alongside serious wannabe pros looking to prove themselves. Together with hardcore adventurists Competing for the sheer personal challenge, the Mini Transat has become a logical springboard, proving ground for all types of sailor, whatever the motivation. But, and it's a big but, this event is not for the faint-hearted or inexperienced. If I were to offer one word of advice to any future competitor, it would be this. Resilience. Make sure you and the boat have got plenty of it. It's earned its label as being one of the toughest solo ocean races in existence, partly due to its history, but mainly due to the fact that the boats are so small and the challenge so big. The boats are in fact best described as being pint-sized. At just 6.5 meters long, which is not much bigger than the average family estate car, a mini 6.5 on first appearance well, it seems woefully small and unlikely a vessel in which to cross a vast ocean. But look closer, and it becomes apparent that these mini boats are built specifically for a maxi challenge. Watertight bulkheads, internal flotation built into the hull to prevent sinking, either canting keels or water ballast, and a very wide platform to support the huge sail plans. The result is a vessel which is both very fast and in the right hands more than capable of crossing the Atlantic Ocean at high speed. The exact course and route across the Atlantic often changes very slightly every few years due to the French race organizers' commercial partnerships. They can dictate where the start and finish destinations are. But in general, the fleet set out from northwest France around September time to cross the Bay of Biscay heading south towards the first leg stopover in the Canary Islands. There's a second leg which then traverses the Atlantic over to the Caribbean. The 1999 event was a bit different to the norm and went down in history for being one of the very toughest on record. I was one of the 80 competitors who signed up for this edition of the race. I'd spent over a year building up to this challenge and had spent time training in France undertaking my qualification races and gaining valuable time on the boat racing against other like-minded mini sailors. For the 1999 race the start was staged in the port of Concarneau in northwest France with the finish line set at Bastère Guadeloupe in the Caribbean some 4,000 miles away. The only thing between me and race success was the small task of piloting this superb little boat across the vast expanse of the Atlantic Ocean and, of course, the other 80 competitors, all of whom were intent on their own race-winning strategy. My race proved to be incredibly successful and a springboard to bigger career opportunities. Despite having the oldest boat in the fleet, I finished fifth overall and achieved the then, best British result in the history of the race. But that was all in the aftermath of what was to become a serious test of endurance and a fight for survival for the whole fleet during the first days of the race. You see, what you're about to hear is an account of how a simple sailboat race for competition turned into a fight for survival for many due to the severity of the conditions experienced in the Bay of Biscay. After the 99 event, race organisers were forced to change the rules to better protect and prepare future sailors wishing to lay down the gauntlet and take on what is the Mini Transat. The 99 race and the storms in the Bay of Biscay were so severe that the conditions quickly unveiled the avid lack of preparation that many of the sailors were facing. During the first four days of the race, more than half of the fleet had retired. Furthermore, during the height of the storms, many sailors and their boats were just overwhelmed. By the sheer magnitude of the conditions. Multiple air and sea rescues were being undertaken to save desperate sailors from their boats. Many friends of mine were in grave and imminent danger. Frankly, we all were. My experience and memories of the storms on the first leg of this race are profound. I don't think the memories will ever fade from my mind. Don't get me wrong, This was a truly awesome and positive experience for me. But for many, this edition of the race proved to be a harsh reminder of the power of the ocean and mother nature. Race organizers had briefed the 80 skippers prior to the start, suggesting we would all expect gale force conditions for a time, but very few realized just how serious this vigorous area of low pressure which was already sweeping across the racetrack would actually become. Inevitably gale force winds would mature into fully fledged storms. There was a significant degree of chat and debate on the dock side between competitors prior to the start of the race. I think it was at that moment when many sailors started to realise they might be out of their depth given the forecast conditions. It's fair to say that while the 99 race will be remembered as one which frankly could have resulted in serious fatalities, thankfully nobody died, but many sailors' dreams for glory in this event were smashed alongside their boats during the ferocious storm. After this event, the rules for entry into the race materially changed, making an already tough to qualify event even more stringent. Having experienced firsthand what can occur out there on the racetrack when the unexpected takes command, I can certainly understand the race organiser's logic. This is not an event in which the unprepared can succeed. After all, there's no substitute for solid preparation. Now, I had my own fair share of problems to deal with during the worst of the weather. My plucky little boat had looked after me well. But during the height of the storm, I found myself in the dangerous position of trying to round the infamous Cape Finisterre in the dark, close to the shipping lanes in over 50 knots of wind, sailing into the wind and waves. Of course, I was now asking way more than could be reasonably expected of such a small boat. In fact, conditions became so wild that even with just a storm jib and tiny storm trysail, the boat could barely manage any meaningful forward headway in the prevailing conditions. We were being constantly slammed by huge waves which swept over the deck, coming out of the darkness like unstoppable freight trains, laying my boat over on its side like a capsized dinghy on a lake. That last night in Biscay was a true test of resilience, and personal determination. It took everything I had to get the boat through the conditions before we could finally resume racing again. I'd been in survival mode for three days. Others weren't so lucky, and I write about this account in full in my book, High Seas, High Stakes. So let me just set the scene. It's the first night of the Mini Transat. You're alone in the Bay of Biscay. Daylight has given way to an intimidating pitch black blanket of sky. The winds are increasing, conditions deteriorating. What's it really like to compete in the international Mini Transat race? I'll
1: tell you what, we've got it all on here. And there's quite a lot of wind, I don't know how much wind, but the boat just keeps falling over. We're down to two rips in the main, fully ballasted up with all the kit, getting the hell knocked out of us. We've got a problem with the uh, mainsail, bloody battens coming apart, creating a real problem. A real problem. I've been just full on since the start. But it's going reasonably well though, given the conditions. It's pretty amazing. Just had a close call on the port and starboard tack. We're on the starboard at the moment. Here we are port. Crossed behind us by about uh, two bowlets. Pretty tight. Time is 10 o'clock UTC really getting quite hammered out here I've just had the main down on the deck because one of the battens have been uh, have broken loose and uh, came out and it's causing the uh, main to floor a hell of a lot I've done the best I can do I've put the baton back in but I don't know how long it's going to last and I'm really worried because if it comes out again the main sound isn't going to last these next few days before the wind moderates so I'm very worried at the moment we've got about 25 to 28 knots of breeze we're down to two reefs of the main and a reef in the jib still overpressed horrible sea out here I can't really see the other boats around, although now I'm heading in a westerly direction, trying to get closer to the front, hoping that I'll be able to get the shift before other people do. Six degrees, 41 minutes, decimal 9.6, 04 degrees, 5.9 minutes, decimal 7.4. It's all happening now, I tell you. just had the main back down on the deck, sewing in that um, second baton that uh, has been breaking loose. came downstairs to find the bloody uh, camcorder under two foot of water, so that's stuff and um the boat is taking a real pounding a real pounding we're just uh looking at the chart we're just coming out of the off the continental shelf so i'm hoping things are going to settle down a bit but it's pretty full on at the moment and uh,
0: the boat is really getting taking quite a pasting Conditions in the Bay of Biscay have been brutal. I was lucky to get through and round Cap Finisterre relatively unscathed. The storms on the first leg of the race had certainly left an impression, especially on my equipment. During the first night of the race, I'd lost the use of my cooker, which had managed to destroy itself in the cabin, probably due to the violent motion as we jumped over the waves. For the remaining nine days of leg one, I had no hot food or drinks. Annoyingly, my camcorder had also succumbed to the might of the weather. I found it under water in the cabin, which put paid to any chance of capturing any exciting footage on the first leg of the race. My mainsail had seen the worst of the damage, and together with a blown-out spinnaker, which had destroyed itself by pushing the boat too hard off the coast of Portugal in the aftermath of the stormy weather. Both sails would need significant repairs before we set off on the second leg of the race. Perhaps one of the biggest problems on leg one for me was my generator. The generator is used to replenish the electricity into the batteries and provide power to the automatic pilot, instruments, navigation lights and VHF radio. The generator was also swamped in the cabin during the height of the storm when we had more seawater inside the boat than I'd been comfortable with. The net result being that despite having purchased a brand new generator before the start of the race in an effort to secure reliability, it didn't start and it threatened our race at a critical moment after we'd spent all our time trying to escape from the clutches of the Bay of Biscay. Without the generator, the batteries would go flat in a matter of hours and we would not be able to run the autopilot. Without the autopilot, Effectively, we were out of the race. It's that simple. At sea, the solo sailor needs to be a master of all trades. While it's safe to say that I'm not an engineer or a mechanic, I just had to get that generator back online. There was no other option. It just had to come apart and be repaired. When I finally crossed the first leg finish line at Lanzarote in the Canary Islands, I felt mentally rock solid but relieved to have reached the end of the first stage. Initially, I had no idea how how I'd done, but I knew I had made it. Interestingly, the affairs in the Bay of Biscay had solidified my confidence in both me and the boat. I felt strong in my mind, but weak in my body. My hands and legs were in a bad way and covered in salt sores. I'd later need a trip to a private hospital to help with my recovery. My body was physically bruised and battered from the ordeal, but I knew there was time to recuperate before the start of the second leg. We had done well and we were one of the front runners. The second leg of the Mini Transat was a total contrast to leg one. The second stage was all about the racing and pushing the boat hard to get maximum performance. After just a few days of sailing, the fleet entered the northeast trade winds and we all reveled in the conditions. The northeast trade winds are the same winds which have blown seafarers across the wide expanse of the Atlantic Ocean from Europe to the Caribbean for centuries. Warm winds blowing off the Sahara Desert provide the perfect conveyor belt for some exciting sailing. This is what I've been waiting for my whole life. Here we are, uh, just had a bit of a.
1: Um, Pressure underneath it. breeze we went from about 10 knots up to about 18. We've still got masthead shoot up. Just uh, broke just before I put the camera on. Um, doing about 12 knots. It's really, really tricky in these con- these sort of conditions with this masthead shoot. You know, just the boat bloody takes off. Gets to the point where the pilot can't steer. You've got to get the kite down. Shit! What? What do you do? You know, the boat ends yeah. up Here we go. We're off again. Shit. You know and I mean. finally it seems to have got the pilots uh, on a reasonable heading. It's all over the show at the moment though. Uh, big problems with the pilots. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's got a mind of its own, I tell you. Um, the boats to the north... Uh, the boats to the north of, the, of uh, my track uh, seem to be, according uh, to her, sailing into lighter winds now. Up 10 knots, uh, and boats south of 22 north, which is what we are. We're on about 2020 north. Um, we can expect breeze today, all day today, of between uh, 15 and 20 knots. We've probably got at the moment about 18 knots, uh, and we're making a nice course, um, uh, pretty much um, down into into the Guadeloupe region. Uh, although we're still 2,000 miles away, but it's a good track. Um, I'm reasonably happy with what's going on at the moment, although I would like to see some more. Um, uh, like to cl- close up on these other boats that are further north. Some boats looking at the chart seem like they're a long way away, uh, long, long way further north. It's going to be very interesting to see uh, how things pan out in the next sort of five or six days. Um, I'm hoping we can um, pull back some time and um, basically, you know, get into the lead again. Uh, I'm reasonably happy with what, everything else, We seem to have a leak somewhere, not quite sure where there's hope here at the moment, generator's running well, and um, I suppose I'm not getting as much sleep as I'd like, but I'm getting a reasonable amount, um, so i um, starting to enjoy it. Um,
0: i finally found out where the leak is down by the mast, and it ain't look good.
1: Uh, where this water-type bulk is, bulkhead is down here, there's a minute, a very tiny little crack where it's sealed to the hull, and um, it's bloody seeping in water. So, there must be a, a hole in the hull somewhere for water to get in. what to think about it. We're 2,000 miles away from the Caribbean and the belly boat's leaking. (laughs) Well, very interesting. Um, It's really only a tiny weep at the moment but I'm going to have to keep my eye on it, you know? It really. um, makes life a bit easier for the, for the pilot to steer and means that I can get some sleep and I can do some navigation and uh, charge up the batteries in, uh, with the generator in confidence and stuff like that really. Um, and if the breeze holds out at this sort of pace we'll probably keep this shoot up all night. I'll get some, hopefully get some good sleep and uh, then game, game, game. game for tomorrow. It's just with a big shoot up. The uh, the pilot can't can't cope, and you get every couple of minutes you get a bit of uh, pressure come through that lays the boat over on its side, and you know, I mean it's it's not good for the boat, you, it's not good for the sails, and you're going to break something eventually, you know. So um, I think you've got to take the, the step of um, ease back, get some kit, do the necessary jobs, get the shoot up, and press full speed ahead when you can, and. Uh, ease back slightly, uh, you know. When you've got, to, you've got things to do, pretty happy with what's going on at the moment, and uh, it's just sort of uh, looking into the end of uh, day eight. Day nine, and once again. Classic trade wind surfing conditions. Um, things going well uh, today so far. We've taken a lot of miles out of uh, the fleet last night. And um, we're only uh, seven miles behind Josephine now. And two miles behind uh, Andorra, France. And uh, we're only 30 um, miles behind Navman. So uh, the game is most definitely afoot. Great sailing when it's like this, Skinner for up main, throw bins. Here we go. Earlier on, we had a, a score come through, which was great. Put a reef in the main. 14 knots of boat speed. Here we go. Bring it on. Excellent fun. Really good. Just looking forward to getting into the Caribbean now, though, and uh, finishing this race. And uh, hopefully in the top five position. I think we can do it. I think. Uh, there's no reason why we can't, just got to make sure and hope we don't break anything. And of course hopefully we go the right way. Charging the batteries as well and uh got a little bit of problem down here about there like a lump and it's very painful if I push it in so I'm not quite sure what it is but I just hope it's okay and I hope it doesn't uh, create any problems over the next 9 days I reckon we've got about 9 days to the finish if these sort of conditions hold up and um about that really it's about here very painful if I push it a bit of a shave really yeah it's been the best day sailing yet so far today great sailing really good fun really really good fun 9.6 9.7 ten knots Woo. 10.6 knots 10.8 uh, these boats just fantastic, fantastic! Managed to fix the uh, problems with the boom as well. Managed to use all the, uh, the new uh, Vectran uh, lashing, the 2.5mm lashing that we've used um, uh, or that we've developed uh, with English Braids. Great job! It slashed up the boom right in the, in the place where I wanted it, and um, without looking closely, you wouldn't think there's a problem there now. So it's all it's all done and dusted. out for Finish, you know. Try and get some places on all the other guys, but at the same time, don't, don't stuff the boat up. You? I think the way I work, well, the way I work it out is if we finish in the place we're at now, with all the other boats in the same place they're at now, and times the same, uh, we're looking at fifth, fifth place overall. It's uh, time to charge the batteries. Uh, batteries up. The pilot, the, the, when he's doing this sort of speed, the pilot works quite hard and takes a lot of juice out of the battery. So, uh so we've got, uh, got to regularly charge them at least once a day. And, uh, to a um, waypoint uh, about 30 miles from the finish. Oh man, today my backside is so raw, it is so painful to sit down, you wouldn't believe it. Oh Jesus, really, really painful. I cannot describe how painful my backside is. Uh, what else have you been at today? Um, well, we had a major. Major um, fun fight for the uh, autopilot. Had to take the, uh, the handset a bit and sort out the loose wire. Um, I didn't cut the wire and re-slice it, which is an option if it continues to be a problem. Uh, but what I did do was take it up on the outside uh, in such a way that it was working at the moment. Up the I tried to get the easy position today. we we're, we're in eighth place today. Uh, um so I presume that means we're ninth still uh, and I couldn't understand um, I couldn't understand the position the, uh, the guy who was talking, talking way too fast and even even with the recorder afterwards uh, I couldn't understand what he was saying so okay. um, we're still in ninth which is good and uh, looking forward to uh, arriving in Guadeloupe around about something Whoa. Here we go.
0: Look at this.
1: It's um, about 11 o'clock in the evening on uh, Tuesday, the uh, 2nd of November got a lot of squalls coming through every few minutes, the boat speed sits at between 8 knots and, and 11 or 12, we just had a surge up to about 12 and a half knots, and that was pretty awesome, Woo! here we go, boat speed 11 knots, We are horsing, absolutely horsing, English braids, English braids, heading out to sea, English braids, English braids surfing rather quickly. to go bring it on! Oh, I've got a wet ass now <laughs> it's great how this boat trims bow up because of the asymmetric spinnaker and the uh, the length of the bow create the, the the combination of the two um, creates a lot of uh, upwards lift to the bow so uh, what it basically means is you can push them over quite hard downwind in, in big breeze with, um, with big waves because it lifts the bow. And there's always the tendency, here we go, bring it on! Woohoo! And then there's no tendency for it to nose dive unless you're really, really, really pushing it. And there's a lot of flare on the bow as well, so a big radius on the bow, on the stem. So that all helps to give it a bit of buoyancy up. Up forehead, stop the nose from diving in. I've uh, got 670 miles to go to a waypoint just off uh, the Bloodloop region. You I see mean, I'm sweating down there, very really hot. I've just done a peel from the masthead chute to the thatch door. There's a serious breeze behind us. reefs in the main. Little spinnaker up. We are flying along. doing about 10 to 12 and a half knots. We're actually underpowered. We could do with uh, just one reef in, but uh, we've got good boat speed and there's minimal pressure on the boat given the conditions. So why push it, you know? We've got 550 to go to the waypoint, and. Uh, Although I want to go fast, I don't want to go too fast and break something, and then or drop the rig or something, and then put myself out of the race. So uh, we're uh, we're so near to the finish yet so far, and uh, I just want to keep the pace on s- s- enough so that we uh, maintain our lead on the boats behind, uh, and, and hopefully uh, gain on the boats in front. But if not, certainly uh, hold our own um, and see how we go. Most of the race has been uh, on a, on a um, strategy of attack and now in the closing stages of this, of this race I'm starting to adopt a more, um, more of an attitude of um, defence and what that basically means in English is uh, keep boats safe and uh, try and consolidate on our position. The last thing we want to do is blow out a kite or your stick out the boat, break the boom, something like that we had a major wipeout about two hours ago when we had full main and, and this kite on and we just took off down the face of the wave and just spun out out of the and really laid it over, laid it over not, to, not with the kite up anyway. And the boat was now grown under the strain and I had to chuck two reefs in the main before she'd come back upright and she couldn't, I couldn't bear away and the kite was flogging to bits and I thought here we go, this is it, this could be all over in terms of the race. But uh, luckily we pulled through that one, it took quite another day and uh, two reefs went in and we slowed up a bit but in real terms we're still going fast. Well I don't know if we can see this but over there Loop. the time is um, about 0635 UTC so uh, I can't actually see it through the camera but every now and again you get a glimpse of uh, oh you see the flashing light there right in the middle of the screen that's flashing um, 2 every 10 which is uh, one of the off islands there it is fantastic We've almost made it another 55 miles to go and when those lines are on tied up to the top we've made it It's day uh, 16 early hours of day 16 and um, about 30 miles from the finish Put the masthead sheet up party frock making about uh, 6 knots Towards the headland uh, just before we round the, uh, the headland to get into Rivier Senge. So uh, things are going well at the moment. Just had another spinnaker wrap around the four stage just before I put the, uh, the film on. And I had to sort that out. Um, but apart from that things are okay. Uh, and looking forward to uh, getting in within about four or five hours. Uh, overcast over there actually you see Mary Galanti over there there's a lot of cloud cover at the moment I'm quite surprised we didn't actually get rained on last night
0: Crossing the finish line of such a life changing event was a monumentous occasion. My father had flown out from the UK to be there when I arrived. I was pleased he was there to see his son appear on the horizon after what had been such an epic race of endurance. I had done it. I had crossed the Atlantic solo and I had achieved the best British result in the history of the race. I have such fond memories of the Mini Transat. It's without doubt a very special event. A life changing experience. For most who compete, it's a one off experience. For me, I actually often think about having another crack at it. What I like most about the Mini Transat is its simplicity one person, one small boat, and one very big ocean. The boats are fast and challenging, the fleet is big and competitive, and the race course and distances involved make it an epic challenge. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast and I look forward to sharing more of my experiences out there on the ocean. If you want to know more and keep up to date with my latest news and podcasts go to my website alexbennett.co.uk and click on the subscribe button. On the website you can also get a copy of my ebook, High Seas High Stakes. The book details the highs and lows of my life as a professional sailor competing in major ocean races including two mid-Atlantic rescues and how I managed to win the biggest double-handed ocean race in the world, only to sink on the way back to the UK. For some great video footage of my sailing adventures, search YouTube, Bennett Ocean Racing. Thanks for listening and see you next time.